Welcome, this is the Change Creator Podcast. What's up, everybody, and happy new year. This is your host, Adam Force. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast Show, where we are reshaping how we think about business and empowering change creators like you to build businesses that create a better future for all of us. We're very excited about 2019 and today's show. We're going to be talking to Ilan Silvan. Okay, so I think I'm pronouncing that last name right. That is the company name as well, Sylvan Labs. And they are a very innovative, um, you know, brand design consultancy. And I'm a huge fan of brand design. I think it's so important in the business world, especially in the impact space. Um, and they solve complex problems for some of the biggest brands in business. We're talking about clients such as Airbnb, Spotify, Google, BlackRock even, Patagonia, PepsiCo, Calvin Klein, BuzzFeed. I mean, that's just a few of them, guys. And the, 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 the list goes on. They have a lot of experience. And we're going to find out how he started this business from scratch, right? And why they decided to become a B corporation and really inject their values into what they're doing. So, you know, there's so many ways we can become uh, a conscious business. And we're going to talk to Alan about his approach. And next, I want to tell you about the exciting edition we have coming out to kick off January, January 15th. Change Creator Magazine is going to be releasing a very special edition. Um, you know, we met Eric Reese uh, in California and Anne May, who is the author of Lean Impact. Eric Reese is, as you probably already know, the author of The Lean Startup, which has created a huge movement. They worked together many, many years ago. We got them both together for a very special interview and a cover story that was with both of them. So I don't even know if that's been done before, if, if they've been on a magazine cover together. So we might be breaking new ground with that one. Um, so really powerful, powerful insights. Their strategies and expertise are so deep. Um, it, I could have had a, a 10 hour interview with them and just go on and on and on. So we did the best we could to capture everything that was relevant for you guys and bring you that mentorship, that expertise. So we hope that you check it out and love it. That again, that's coming out January 15th, not far from today's uh, podcast release. Okay, so next on the docket, we will also be opening the doors very soon again for uh, the Captivate program. We just completed the, uh, the beta run of our Captivate course, and that was very hands-on with a number of students. And it was awesome. We had such a good time doing this. Uh, we learned so much ourselves, and so did the people that we were working with. It was a great success, and so now we're making some refinements. We're bringing in some additional experts to contribute, and we're going to be re-releasing the next uh, full version uh, this month. The doors will open for early access, okay? The actual program will go live in March, um, so we got some things to do, but we're going to start selling the program at a very, very low price, um, and the price will go up as we get closer to March. So keep an eye out for that. And you can check out the website, changecreator.com, and you'll see where we have the course information and you can get started uh, and sign up for that. So guys, check it out. This is all about putting story at the heart of your marketing and really connecting with your audience. You know, Today, it's so difficult with such a saturated online uh, environment and there's so much 
bullshit out there with crappy, you know, five steps to get rich stuff. Um, you know, you got to find ways to to break through it all. And this is what we're trying to help you with because we know it's foundational to your success as an impact entrepreneur. All right, guys, let's dive into this uh, interview. We'd appreciate it if you could stop by the iTunes store, leave us a five-star review. This is very helpful. Thank you so much. We appreciate you, and we look forward to a great 2019. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Elon, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. How are you doing today, man? I am doing well. I'm excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, uh, no problem. Uh, we're, we're always excited, and especially myself, selfishly, uh, I'm excited to talk to someone who has built up such a incredible uh, uh, business uh, doing product design and branding and things like that. I, I love that space and I think there's a lot of power behind it. So um, just to get started, can you just tell us a little bit about how um, you began your business journey and, and maybe a little bit about what you were doing before that? Yeah, sure. Um... Yeah, so I, I've been working in sort of the creative agency space for a while, and I was at a I was at a similar company. I was like a at a strategy and innovation company, and I was managing director over there. And I felt like um, there was an opportunity to do it better. You know that that there was a way to bring sort of the spirit of a creative agency alongside the discipline of a management consulting company. Yeah, well, that was like an interesting white space. You know what I mean? Like. You know, I knew what creative agencies did well, and I knew what management consultants did well and how they were valued. And I was like, there's got to be a way to be both at the same time and really get credit for being both at the same time. So um, while I was at the other job, I was kind of planting the seeds to start my own business, um, you know, talking to clients and hiring people and buying computers, and looking at office space. And, and uh, we launched it like nine years ago. And it was like, it was just a very intense time. You know, it was, it was, it was a really desperate sort of hustle mode yep. to try to get off the ground. And the first couple of years was, you know, we were taking on anything we could and working in this little office space and, and just constantly, constantly hustling until, um, over the next couple of years, we really began to refine what it is that we do and sell. You know what I mean? So we, we had a really clear idea of how we talk about the company and why it's important and valuable. And then we started getting to a real rhythm with certain clients um, and they kept coming back. And, you know, we have 100 percent client retention mm. uh, since the day we started. And so so it was uh, it wasn't until maybe I'd say four years, five years into it, where we just really hit a rhythm with the team and the service and the clients. And this is where I knock on wood. Um <laughs> I don't know if you heard that yeah. in pockets land, but I, I knocked on wood because it is important to realize all that shit can come crashing down at any moment. Um, yeah. But anyway, so we, we hit a rhythm and it's been, it's been for the most part, kind of a, a, a bit of a machine. You know, we, we have our own quirks and kinks that we need to work through. You know, not everything is perfect, but no, never. But is. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know the feeling. Yes. Yes. Um, well, really interesting. So I'm curious to, um, you know, what kind of dollars did you have to put in to get this thing off the ground? You said you're working in a little office, so I guess you had a little overhead. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm just curious, you know, I think we got a lot of people on the line here who have certain skill sets, especially like, you know, design and things. And it's like, well, what can I do with that, especially in the impact space? Do I do I start my own agency and support social enterprises or nonprofits or foundations and things like that? But, you know, starting these things. And I think agency kind of has like a tainted 
uh, mm-hmm. stigma <laughs> to it. Right. Um, and so I'd be curious to helping them understand from your experience and success, just kind of what it took to get off the ground. Like, I'm sure there's some hardships and maybe you can like talk, walk us through some of that. Yeah, sure. It's good. It's a good question. You know, in, in my case, when I was at the other job, I was looking for work elsewhere. And so I was on, I was on the job market while I was thinking about starting my own business. Yeah. Um, and a really interesting thing happened where I got um, a meeting with a, a senior person at uh, like a, at AOL at the time. And, and I don't know if I should even be talking about the client, but, but it was, it was AOL and they had this big job there and they were talking about hiring me and they were into hiring me full time for that job. And I think the smartest thing I could have ever done um, was to say to them, um, thank you for the opportunity, but I've always had the dream of starting my own business. How would you like it if AOL was our first flagship client? And I would service that as though I work there, I'd have an office there or, and I'd also have an office offsite and I'd have a team, I'd build a team and I'd work only on your stuff for, for the duration of the project, which was like a three month thing. Um, and and then, and then they agreed and they agreed. So that, that first project fee was enough to capitalize the company. And for those three months I did the work and I also looked for work elsewhere with other clients. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I never had to invest any money in this. We, I never, um, you know, I never had to cut a salary. I never had to look for investors. It was through the sheer size of the projects that we were able to fund the, the jam mm. and, and it worked. Nice. Um, luckily. Yeah, I mean that's the way to do it ultimately, right? Avoid the funding, be self-sustainable, uh, all those things. Keep the keep the equity, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, what was it though? So obviously you leaned into the skills that you had, right? You were working at a company, you were doing this kind of stuff, and you kind of branched off onto your own. And I think that happens a lot, right? So and and it accelerates the success rate when you're leaning into the skills you already have and not relearning something all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here you are talking to these guys. You know, you, you mentioned your first client here. And what was it, though, that hooked them to say, OK, I'm going to give you a shot. And, you know, you weren't giving it away like I'll work for free just to build my portfolio. You obviously got a good contract fee. Um, what were the, the things that made you get that win, do you think? Um, well, it's, it's the same thing that would get, you know, get me to get that win in any other circumstance. You know what I mean? Where it was just kind of good work with credible background and experience. Um, and a plan to execute it. Like I just treated it as though it was a project, um, as though I was working for a big company, you know, and, and I had the, the, um, experience and the rigor to really demonstrate that I could add value. And that's, um, that's how it was, you know, the, there's another thing that also is at play and that's desperation. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if you're getting that vibe from those early days, but, but when desperation is at play, um, you know, you try harder. And it was really fascinating to me how much more I cared about work and getting work when I owned it, when I owned the business. Oh, yeah. Like it, I always cared and I always put in a lot of work and I, you know, that's always kind of who I am. But when the stakes, the stakes change, when my name is on the door and all of that, um, that's when I found that I was doing, I was more successful and that could be just me. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. It could be just me, but something about having my name on the door and knowing that I had to achieve these sorts of milestones is what food on the the fire. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah. I mean, you get backed into a corner at some point. The money runs out, and the reality steps in that 
you're either going to sink or swim. Um, I think hopefully that motivates people. <laughs> to, you know, uh, I think one of the things I always loved hearing someone say is like where motivation comes from. It's like when the pain of not doing something is greater than the pain of actually doing it. So, you know, at some point that pain of, of not doing what you need to do is going to get there because you, you're not going to have any cash flow. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Listen, I I totally get that, and I can appreciate it. That desperation is an interesting factor. So you were leveraging your experience that you had working at the other company to say, "Here's my portfolio," right? Yeah, it was a, a little bit. I mean, it wasn't the other company's portfolio. It was like my portfolio, my experience. Um, and you know, I I, I had a, sort of a unique offering. You too, you know, this idea that um, you know I don't you don't have to hire me full time. You could kind of try this out. Um, as a, as a bite-sized engagement. And that was like a unique, um, approach to it. It made it easier for them to swallow it, you know? And by the way, you know, when I was there, I was able to sell in other work with that client. Okay. Yeah. Um, Upsell. Upsell, which is, which was like huge, huge. Right. So your bite-sized offers, like we'll do a three month contract versus full time, like for a year or something. Exactly. And a three month project, I mean, it's huge, right? You, you, you know, like in, as a small business, a three-month contract is is profound, especially if um, I didn't have to spend all my time on it. Right? Well, exactly. Yeah. I, I, so you probably contracted some people to help, right? Yeah. So at that point, I, I hired a couple people um, to join me, and uh, straight out of grad school, these uh, these two guys, Ben um, Cheney and Joey Kmeyer, they joined me, and they're still with me nine years later. Cool. Um, but you know, one of the coolest things I did was um, my dad joined me. Um, in, in this really early on, he had, he had kind of, she, he retired a little bit. He was kind of consulting here and there and, um, still wanted to, he still had a lot of life in him. and still had, wanted to work and enjoyed working and was really good at operations. And I, you know, we needed someone to run HR legal and finance. And so he, he played that role. Um, and he, and he still does that. And what's interesting is like, he's not in the office. He doesn't necessarily work on the client work. But he provided the rigor and the foundation yeah. um, that came with his experience. So, on the one hand, we're super creative and, and try to be as visionary as possible. On the other hand, we do have this really, really entrenched foundation of, of discipline. You know, I think you have to. You gotta have some level. Like you have to have systems in place that actually work. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. so there is a discipline behind that, and I think. Even if it's your creative process, right? The creative process has a discipline behind it, I, I would imagine. Is that true? Um, does the creative process have a discipline behind it? Yeah. I mean, I think I think so. I mean, when it comes to things like um, uh, like commitment um, and, you know, there's sometimes actual processes that people have right. in being creative. I think, yeah, there, there is discipline to it. Um, but I, I'm not very good about codifying that discipline. You know, not, some people are. You know, what I mean, some people. Either. Okay, good. <laughs> no, so some people, you know, famously can be like, "Yo, here are the 12 steps to being the most creative person in the world." Um, I've never kind of worked that way. No, no. I think you know, I always get down to, um, and this is from my own personal experience working with some some bigger brands and stuff. Is um, the creativity kind of, um, I guess there's always, everyone has their own brainstorming, I guess, method. Um, but I think what I have found over all my years, you know, past 15 years of experience is like, it comes down to really understanding who you're making something for. Like as the better you can understand the human behavior and the psychology, the more successful you can be at kind of, um, building something that matters for them. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, what, what I think is interesting about that is a lot of people will say, you know, they're, they're user first or, you know, they understand consumer insight. So to me, it's less about committing to that and more about how do you do it that's unique and visceral and gets to a deeper place. Yes. You know what I mean? Because yes. you could, I could tell you a really interesting story about somebody's like a, like a, a user. I can say, you know, she woke up in the morning and she took the train to work and she dropped off her daughter or whatever. Or I can say, you know, she's feeling conflicted about work life balance. Um, or she feels like she doesn't, um, she's, she wonders what well, her well being means today in this day and age, or, or, you know, the political situation threatens her sense of confidence. Yeah. Like those are deeper emotional things that give you a a greater look at how people behave and why they behave that way. Well, right. And the more specific you get, the more you're really, whatever you do is going to really speak to that person. So you really, you're going to, it's going to be like a magnet for them. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I love that. Um, so tell me about some of the large, Oh, by the way, I was curious. I don't, you don't have to share this. This is my own curiosity. Um, what did you land, uh, that first big client for Can you tell me how much? Uh, no, I'd rather not, but but I can tell you. Sorry, Adam. It was the low low price of nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Um, we no no. It was it was you know consulting engagements run like around a hundred to five hundred grand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Um, so I was in that zone, and Six and you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just is, try to ask that so people listening because you know why uh, is because people devalue themselves, especially if it's like, oh, I'm starting my business and it's my first client, which means I have to do it for way, way less. And I don't believe in that. I believe you should believe, be confident in what your value is as long as, you know, obviously you have some experience and stuff. So people devalue themselves. And here you are, you got your first client, you have some experience and boom, you were able to get a six figure contract. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I struggle with this even to this day. You know, what is the right pricing for for a project because you don't you know sometimes people tell us we're way too expensive sometimes they tell us we're not expensive enough and that was certainly true in those early days but i think you know the the real thing to do is come up with a price that's competitive but also gives you kind of a cushion and and it should be about you versus what they're willing to pay or, or can afford to pay True. I like that. It's about you, meaning make sure you have enough to cover your costs, hire the team mm -hmm. and have a certain margin of profit. Yeah, exactly. And in a reasonable, you know, take care of yourself in a, in a reasonable way. <laughs> you don't need to buy a Ferrari, but maybe you sell no. for a Mercedes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. So I'm curious. So you guys became a B Corp. Yeah. Yeah. We became a B Corp um, this year, just a few months ago. It was... Um, Man, that was like an intense process. It took right. us a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, have you gone through that process yourself? No, um, we know we're connect in our network. A lot of our brands that we connect with have, and um, actually, one of our first cover stories um, is going through that process right now. And we just connected with them at a conference, and he's like, "Wow, it is. It's grueling." <laughs> it's grueling. So, so imagine, you know, like for a social entrepreneurial venture, um, it where your clients and your work is inherently tied to social good. It's a it's a little bit easier than what I had to go through because we work with big corporate clients, Goliaths. We work with PepsiCo, and you know their impact on the on the world is is worrisome. You know, as are other of our clients like yes. Google and Samsung and General Motors, and and there aren't many creative 
or consulting companies or agencies that have that um, certification. If you, if you look at it, they're, they're actually not as many as you might think. Right. And they're certainly not as many in the product innovation space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and especially ones that don't focus on social, um, social good. You know, there, there are some companies that have the certification that only do um, important social impact work. Um, we're not one of those companies. You know, we, we do a, a broader swath of work, mostly with big corporate clients. Um, and as you know, you, you need a score of like uh, 80, I think, yeah. to get the certification. We got an 80.6. <laughs> you know, we, like, we, we, we just skated right in there. And that's because the, net, the inherent nature of our business model and this category doesn't actually um, allow for, this, for that type of certification. So we, we somehow ended up through those cracks and we're really proud of it. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Uh, How, when did that uh, happen? So I guess the end of the spring, okay. but we have been working on it for a year. <laughs> that's it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. um, that's pretty awesome. And so now tell me a little bit about your company culture and values. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I just want to understand, I know you kind of lean into some similar values that we, we have as well as seeing companies, you know, design products and, and basically make certain decisions around their business that are more holistic and thinking and not having these negative, you know, catastrophic in some cases impacts mm-hmm. on people or planet, right? So I'd like to understand your uh, philosophies and values around these things we've come to. Sure. Yeah. You know, we went through this exercise of um, thinking about why we do what we do. And it came to this idea that we, we basically... We hope to leverage the might of corporations for the greater good. Yeah. Um, and just believing that's that's the sort of responsibility we have is is to harness the power of these big companies and um, impact the world in a more positive way. Um, B Corp was part of that. Um, and so our job is is really thinking about what it what the greater good means um, and how our clients relate to the greater good. And I could give you a couple of examples. Sure. Um, you know, we do a lot of work with Black uh, BlackRock, the asset management company, the huge. Yeah. You know, before I worked with them, I I was very scared of them. You know, it was right, like, uh, yeah. it was like <laughs> capitalism at its worst. You know, managing trillions of dollars. We knew there was some sort of corrupt stuff happening over there. Yeah. Um, but as you get to know the organization and you get to know their purpose, um, you realize there's actually a profound um, value that they can provide to the greater good, giving people a greater sense of confidence around their wealth and the power of their wealth and how it can impact their life moving forward and so on. And, you know, how they, how they can earn, invest and give more meaningfully. Um, and so when you, when you get that, when you understand, okay, this isn't just about making rich people richer, it's more about understanding that everybody has the power to feel wealthy or be wealthy. And BlackRock's role is to enable that um, in a, in a more democratic way. Because it's true, you know, they're, they're really focusing on, on everybody. Right. Um, and so when you get that, and it kind of helps accelerate the work that we do um, because it has a direction and a purpose. Yeah. Um, now, has so, there been any work that you've already finished, is public, that you could tell us that you've done for them? Uh, no. Um, but, you know, I don't know when this will air. But, but in the next few weeks, um, we'll start to see stuff. You know, uh, Larry Fink, the CEO, wrote this um letter to CEOs. He does this thing every year and he, he talks about how every company uh, needs to have a purpose. 
Yeah. And it might sound cliche to people like you and me or, or people that, you know, your listeners who are thinking about purpose-driven stuff all the time. But in the world of finance, that's a big, big deal um, to say you should commit to purpose beyond it revenue. Is, it is, big time. And so that, that, that sort of thinking has come out of our work and, and um, is sort of the stuff that we're, we're helping them wrestle. That's really interesting. And I know the financial world has um, been talking more and more about impact investing and mm -hmm. how they use their money and the ways that they actually can have purpose. Um, and it's not super mainstream, but it's getting there. So they're kind of like adopting these ideas, but I still think it sounds like there's still some work to do among many of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what keeps me in business. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool. So, I mean, a lot of it, like, so tell, let's just hear a little bit more about some of the, um, projects you worked on in the sense of has the work you're doing, um, have you had, had any like common uh, denominators among uh, brands that have been like, oh, wow, just like, here's something interesting about the creative process or things that we're doing, um, certain uh, epiphanies, anything like really interesting that just stands out to you right now when, as I say this? Yeah, I mean, we, if you look at our client list, you'll see it's pretty varied, right? So we work in finance with BlackRock, we also work in sports with the NBA, and we work in technology with Google and Spotify and Airbnb, you know, we're, we're kind of in a bunch of different categories. Um, the common thread, and it, well, I should say people come to us and they're like, you work in so many industries, you know, you're a master of none, you know? Um, <laughs> and what we say in response to that is that it's really, that we think about people first, you know, cause people don't actually look at the world as like automotive is over here and finance is over there. Yeah. And, it, and that's the where we're, our expertise is. And that's the epiphany, I think, is is really just putting people truly, truly first above above a brands and business and CEOs and that sort of thing. Yeah. Another thing is uh, I'm finding consistent um, is this idea of like a purpose that's bigger than revenue. You know, um, like BlackRock has one and the WNBA, we work on the WNBA their, their mission is to inspire and empower women, which is, you know, a huge, obviously ambitious, uh, objective. And when you've got something like that as a guiding light for your project, it, it just creates a lot more, uh, authenticity to what you, what you bring into the table. It does. And even like when you talked about your company culture and the things you guys, the discussions that you had with your team and stuff like that, um, you know, having that purpose, having these values that your company kind of operates by, um, it does make you want to get up in the morning because now you're not living this empty purpose. It's like you have this real meaningful uh, thing happening that everybody can align to and feel good about, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what your path to this sort of work was for me. It was, um, you know, my mom worked for the United Nations for most of her career. Yeah. And I went to United Nations school. I had a, a master's in international affairs. I, I worked in political consulting briefly. I always had this interest in policy. Um, you know, my brothers are academics and they focus and they think a lot about, uh, you know, the law and policy. And so I always felt like a bit of a sellout in doing the corporate stuff. Yep. You know, um, and helping sell carbonated soft drinks. That's like, you know, it was like a real letdown, you know? And so I, I needed to find a way to reconcile my own personal interests and ambitions with my craft and need to survive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how those things all came together. 
I love that. Yeah, no, similar in a sense. I was in corporate. I was director of strategic, strategic marketing for like 10 years over at uh, WebMD and working with big brands and doing all that kind of stuff, which is really cool. And it taught me a lot. Great company. Um, but there was something missing for me. And I was kind of like this activist. And I know you talk about being the CEO activist. We could touch on that. Um, and, you know, I just was like, man, I... I really, if I'm going to do, if I'm, if I don't want to be in this position 10 years from now, um, I'm going to have to start making some changes. Right. And I also leaned into mm -hmm. my skills, which is digital media, publishing these things. Mm -hmm. And that's how change creator was born because I found that the most powerful way for uh, us to contribute is by making sure we can <clears throat> help entrepreneurs get their ideas off the ground and kind of mm -hmm. shift the needle on how we think about business and stuff like that. So that's where mm -hmm. we're today. Very cool. You know, it's, it's, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's, it's pretty interesting how there's a marketplace for entrepreneurs, meaning there, there's services that are catered to entrepreneurs now. And it's always been there. Right. But, but I think over the last few years through things like, um, you know, um, you know, Squarespace and, you know, ways to incorporate. And yeah. there are all sorts of services popping up to service the entrepreneur. And, and what's interesting is like business, the new entrepreneurial business idea is to service the entrepreneur, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's less like, what's your big idea? It's more like, how are you going to help someone else achieve their big idea? And maybe that's the big idea in itself. It kind of all hooks together, right? Because like we're all teachers, we're all students. So if you have expertise in a certain place, um, it's kind of like giving that next person a hand up in that in that niche, right? Everything's about mm -hmm. the niche and, and teaching and all these things are happening. Um, and there's a major shift in how we think about business and how we make decisions. I mean, even yourself, right? You have an agency that's working with all these brands, but you're taking on uh, really important values and culture that drive the, the business and are trying to do good things with the work that you do. So- mm -hmm. This is like this shift in how we actually think about these things. I think that's true. I think that's true. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's more collaborative too, right? Like we're willing to share what we're learning. Yes. Yes. And transparency, sharing. Transparency. Yes. Yeah. It used to be like, oh, I can't share this. And I, I, it's a secret. And this is, you know, like all these different things. And we've even had people sign up for one of our courses and they're like, well, we're going to share our business ideas and stuff. I'm like, guys, no one, like, that's all good. Like no one's going to run away with your business idea, but you still have this old stigma, this mentality, right? Um, mm -hmm. We interviewed Guy Kawasaki and he was like, Hey, I, I put, my, whenever I write a new book, I take the whole manuscript and I, I share it out to my entire Twitter following and I ask them for feedback and he has no fear of someone stealing his content. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's crazy. that to me is awesome. I mean, I, I love that, you know, yeah. that, that sort of thinking. And, and when you're confident in what you do, it, you don't, you're not afraid of theft. No, that's <laughs> you know? it. That's it. It's yeah. the confidence. Cause he's like, listen, if someone else can do it better than me, then I'm not doing my job. Right. Right. And then no one else can do it like you. And, and so I definitely feel that way. I try to feel that way, you know, is kind of go out there and just do what we do and not be shy about sharing exactly. how we go about it. Exactly. Um, listen, we're coming up on our uh, mark here for time. Um, but tell me just a little bit before we wrap up about this. I know you did an article on courts and um, I'm going to be guilty of not being able to read the whole thing, but it looks super interesting. And you talk about being the CEO activist and, um, stuff like that. So I just wanted to get a little, a little bit, a little soundbite from you on, on that kind of stuff. Uh, sure. Um, you know, I, I hope I didn't say that I'm a CEO activist in that article. I don't remember saying that. I hope not. Uh, maybe not in that article. Okay. No, I think good. that was just in some of the email conversations we had okay, setting up the, the interview. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Because I'm always so like, 
I, I'm careful about that sort of thing because um, it can feel trite sometimes. Yes. Um, but it works in in some circumstances, but not others. But um, yeah, no, I wrote I wrote a piece in Quartz about. Um, so I've written a couple, but uh, and I think you're talking about. Um, I have it. Uh, the most successful activists don't okay. fight backlash; they embrace it. Yeah, this was about backlash in general, about how all great movements have a, a backlash, um, just just waiting upon it. So while progress is inevitable, so too are backlashes, and and you saw that last yes. year with with Me Too. Um, hashtag me too, where there was obviously that in itself was a great moment of progress for society. But really shortly after you saw a backlash, you know, you saw Asia Argento kind of um, being kind of attacked and you saw sort of the the mechanisms of, of hashtag me too being criticized. And this this thing, you know, hashtag him too popped up and which (laughs) was like appropriating the victimhood. Um, And so uh, the piece is really about, if you if you anticipate backlash, if you know that backlash is inevitable, you might go about it differently. This idea of two steps forward, one step back, mm-hmm. um, and the great moments in 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 activism where um, that is proven out to work well. You know, where you you kind of stoke that the backlash, or you you um, kind of embrace it or seduce the backlash. It actually it actually can help your core cause. Yeah, no, I think it makes perfect sense, too, because if you do anything that is revolutionary or meaningful or is a movement, um, there's going to be a lot of resistance and there's going to be backlash like it's expected. There's going to be people that choose your side and people that don't choose your side. And if you're appealing to everybody, you're probably um, not doing anything very important. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. Um, all right, let's wrap up on that note, man. Uh, this was fun, and I appreciate it. Uh, let's give you guys a shout-out. So um, why don't you give your URL? How do people find you, contact you? Um, and oh, oh, and do you work with mostly larger brands, or do you have any small deals that you do with smaller startups, you know, the, the six-figure startups and stuff like that? Um, we mostly work with big companies, um, but we we invest and partner with smaller companies occasionally, mm-hmm. um, and then we do uh, a lot of our own side hustles. So we you know we write books and make documentaries, and we do a lot of nonprofit work, um, pro bono work on the side. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, the bulk of the stuff are the big companies. Our um, you can check us out at sylvainlabs.com. It's S Y L V A I N labs.com. And um, yeah, thanks for shouting us out. We uh, we're happy to be known. Awesome, yeah, guys, cool website, cool team, lots of uh, experience and stuff. So you can check them out, see what they're up to, and what's next. And you guys have a lot of cool little side hustle projects that you mentioned. So uh, yeah, fun stuff, man. And uh, appreciate you sharing your story, your experience, and any teachable moments that you had there, um, guys. Uh, so swing by, check it out, and uh, hey, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. You got it. Bye. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the Change Creator Revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play. Or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast.